Hey, everybody. Welcome to Revolutionary Relationships, a podcast here to support you in your emotional, your relational, and your spiritual evolution. Yes. And if you don't know, we are your hosts, Kara and Caleb, and we are so glad that you are here. This is going to be the best day ever. This is going to be the best day ever. Wake up. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Welcome back to another week. Uh, we're so excited that you are here. We are so excited. Welcome to Revolutionary Relationships. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, took last week's off, last week off uh, for good reason. Why did we Why did we take the week off? We were enjoying life in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Yes, we were on a baby moon. A baby moon. We went on a baby moon. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. We so, piggybacked on one of your speaking engagements. Yes, to- I spoke at a leadership, a high school leadership conference um, with high school leaders from all across the state of Wyoming. There's about 700 of them. Honestly, that was probably one of my favorite speaking engagements mm, yeah. since doing school, since speaking in schools. Mm. I thought it was really powerful. I thought the students, um, they were eager and hungry to learn. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it was, it was just a really cool experience. And then from there, uh, we were able to drive three hours north to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which, mm-hmm. oh my God. Stunning. Honestly, one of the most stunning parts of the country I've ever been to. That was our first time in Wyoming. <laughs> yeah. And... We were driving up towards Jackson Hole on this two-lane highway, and we look over to our left, and there were literally three separate herds of wild horses galloping, yeah, just leaving their dust behind them, galloping parallel to us. And it was one of those moments where you're you weren't like, galloping; they were running. They were running. <laughs> they were running. Yeah. I was like, "Where are they running it's, to?" It was something that you see in movies. Yeah, it was yeah. honestly so beautiful. It so it was stunning. remarkable. And then and, we got to, yeah, go ahead. Baby. Yeah. And Jackson Hole. And, and then we got to go to Park City. Yeah. But first in Jackson Hole, mm. I got to talk about what we saw. What did we see? Well, first we saw a moose. A moose. <laughs> this thing was massive. All I wanted on this whole trip was to see a moose. You did say that. Yeah. I was like, if I see a moose, my trip is complete. And on like day one in Jackson Hole, we saw a yeah, moose. Yeah. We were driving from Jackson Hole to the Grand Teton National Park and I saw a like I saw two cars pulled over with their flashers on and I was like what are they doing and then I look to the right and in this open field I see this massive creature I'm like what the hell is that a moose and then Carol's like it's a moose it's a moose it's a moose if you've ever seen a moose it's it's like a little bit comical because they're so So big and their antlers are so big and they're wildly dangerous but I didn't know that (laughs) I just kept I just kept calling out to Frank we called him Frank (laughs) Uh, and then from there I think one of the coolest things I've ever seen um, was this what I saw after this moose and it was a black wolf Mm, yeah that guy was huge massive he was so big there was just so much power and authority like when you looked at this this wolf, it was just like, whoa. Yeah. You know what happens? It was beautiful. You know what happens when we get out into spaces like that is I realize, well, I feel like I experience a lot of presence. I'm very present. But I just realize how big and grand life is. Yeah. When you're just out in the wild. It really kind of like puts things in perspective. Yeah. You like kind of in your mind's eye can scale out uh-huh. and just see that you're just this little blip, per- blip person blip. sitting. <laughs> it's just like, whoa. Yeah. And, just, and to know that you're connected to all of this. Uh-huh. And we talked cool. about the timing, but like the timing to see the moose, the timing to see the wolf, the timing to see the fox. Yeah. 
Like if we had left, you know, five minutes earlier or later, yeah. we probably would have missed those interactions. And just thinking that, that all these creatures are living their life, doing their thing. <laughs> and we get to have a little overlap with them. What's crazy. Really cool. And I was kind of processing this with you. Uh, I'm probably going to write about this. I'm still kind of processing it, but going on hikes and being in the wilderness and being in nature mm. used to be my worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> worst nice nightmare. And I think for a lot of reason, like the stillness of nature, like being out there, we didn't hear a sound. Yeah. Right. Like and we, we were didn't the, see people either. We didn't see anybody. We it's off season. So we were alone mm -hmm. in these, like on the mountain, on these hikes. It was a little Stunning. afraid of bears. But I've never, like my, my soul longs for that now. Mm. Like it truly longs to be in the wild. Yeah. It, it longs to be in nature. And I think it's because now my heart space resonates mm. with all of the things that nature represents stillness, being untamed, expansiveness, expansion, mm -hmm. all of these things. Like my soul actually resonates with it when I hated it and when I despised it, uh -huh. right? All of those things threatened me. Or when you were scared of it, maybe. I was scared of it, right? Yeah. Because I, I was just living on the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm. So it's just been cool to see it come full uh, circle for me. And now, like, I feel so wildly present and connected when I'm out there. Mm. Uh, it, it does something truly. It really does something to me in such a profound and special way. Yeah, it's amazing. And then we went to Park City, Utah, which, oh, my God. Was also amazing. That's I such a special Park place. City. I would live in Park City, man. Yeah. I think it's so cool. Yeah, it's it's truly special. And what was really cool is because it was off season, we had a chance to stay at the St. Regis Hotel, mm -hmm. uh, which was probably the bougiest hotel I've ever been in. Yeah, it was uh, so nice. But because it was off season, we got to like stay in a suite. They upgraded us so they, kindly. Oh my gosh. It brought was a us suite. wine. Yeah. I took like three bubble baths. <laughs> it was just living our very best life. It was so beautiful. The room that we stayed in, um, in season is almost $2,000 a night. Uh -huh. That's crazy. It's amazing. <laughs> and they did champagne sabering every night and they had s'mores. It yeah. was very, very, was cool. very picturesque. Yeah, uh, but we are back in Nashville and we are excited to be publishing this week's episode because it is with our dear friend, yeah, Emily McDowell. Yeah, we don't talk about this too much on the podcast, but Emily's a huge part of the reason that we we are together. Did we talk about it in the episode? We didn't tell the actual story, but essentially Emily tried to matchmake us and set us up for months yeah. before we actually met. And just to give you a little bit more context, Emily is the reason why I actually moved to LA. Uh -huh. She found me on Instagram. At this time, I had just started sharing my story and speaking a little bit more. And mm -hmm. Emily was uh, in her in her work. Um, she DM'd me and she says, "Hey, I'm looking for a male voice about healing. Would love to fly you out. My business partner and I would love to fly you out to talk about partnering and doing a collab." So I flew out. We didn't end up working together, mm. but we became good friends. Yep. And then I walk in the beach one morning at five thirty before heading back. I was like, holy shit, I'm moving to LA. Yeah. So you moved your life across the country. Because of Emily. Uh-huh. And Emily and I were in a mastermind together for all of 2018 and met monthly to dive into our work, our businesses, our lives. And it was a group of six of us. And she consistently kept trying to set me up with this ambiguous guy <laughs> <laughs> who happened to be in a relationship at one point and then just, you know, it, it never happened. But then when Caleb and I actually met, we found out that we in both, Kentucky. yeah, we met in Kentucky on a writer's retreat and then we took a selfie together because we recognized that we both knew Emily. We found that we were mutual friends with her on Instagram 
and took a selfie and sent it to her. And she was like, oh my gosh, that is the guy I've been trying to set you up with for months. So we love attributing part of our story yes. to Emily. And and just, she knew. She knew before yes. anybody knew that we were... Right for each other. Yeah. Uh, Emily is just uh, a beautiful person inside and out. She truly is. And I love this episode for so many different reasons. But this episode really, like, it takes you down Emily's journey. And it's a journey of, um, like... What do you do when everything you've worked for uh-huh. your entire life and you've reached this epitome of success, but the success is just kind of chipping away at your overall emotional and mental well-being. Mm-hmm. It's eroding your life from the inside out. What do mm-hmm. you do when everything falls apart? Yeah. Emily's story really is it's a giant permission slip yes. to, uh, to change your mind. And to shift gears and to change lanes. And she built this thriving, amazing business. And uh, in the in the thick of it, recognized there's something off for yeah. me. And went on a journey of really exploring what that offness was and what it looked like to, to potentially pivot. Yeah. And I feel like she has such a wisdom when it comes to allowing yourself... Um, allowing yourself permission to, yeah. to change your mind. And I think a lot of us, we get stuck in these ruts. We get stuck in this flow of life. I think 2020 actually was a pretty big interruption for a lot of us yeah. where uh, naturally we all got interrupted and got to ask the question, am I in the lane that I yeah. want to be in? Am I doing the thing I want? But she has such a um, yeah a prolific wisdom to speak into those spaces. Because it takes so much courage to mm-hmm. separate yourself from a life that no longer serves you yeah. and pleases you and to risk like to really truly believe that okay my heart is saying there's something missing that there's something on the other side of this I'm going to risk it all yeah maybe I don't find it but maybe I do yeah and that takes so much courage and it takes so much just uh, if you're familiar with Richard Rohr he talks about the first half of life and the second half of life mm. and that's like liminal space in between yeah. it's so much to hold but there is life on the other side. Mm-hmm. And Emily, I think her story is a prophecy for so many of what it looks like to rediscover life on the other side of massive disruption, mm-hmm. loss, change, mm-hmm. letting go. Mm-hmm. I think she also epitomizes and really embodies trusting yourself. Mm-hmm. Because when all of these other outside voices are outside opinions are questioning your actions. She was, she was uh, very adamant on remaining true to herself and what felt true for her. Yeah. And, sh- and she'll speak to that in this episode, but there's so much goodness yeah. here. We obviously are a fan of Emily. <laughs> uh, we love her <laughs> so, so much. Uh, and we're going to have uh, all of the incredible work. She's such a gifted writer. So mm. you can connect with her. Um, through her Instagram, if you haven't already. And That's, she's starting a podcast soon. She is. And we'll have all of that linked in the description of this podcast. Yes. Uh, so we, again, are so excited that you're here. And if you are listening to this and there's just something that stands out, um, and it, or if you think about a, a person, uh, if a person comes up while you're listening to this, can you just do a, a huge favor uh, and just screenshot it or share it with that friend? Uh, this podcast is growing. Uh, The listeners are uh, definitely people who are listening. It's growing. And we just want to say thank you so, so much. Yeah, we love this community. It's so, it's so special. So thank you. And uh, here's what Emily has to say. You good? I'm great. We look pretty. (laughs) Because I showered. (laughs) It's like once in a lifetime. (laughs) 
Emily, we are so, 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 can I say so one more time? Uh, so excited to have you join us today. We really are. I love talking to Emily. I know. And it's just so cool because, I mean, where do we even start? Where do we start? <laughs> like my life radically changed because I met you. True. <laughs> and that's before I even met Kara. So for any listeners out there, um, I ended up in LA because of Emily. Emily, thank you for that. Yes. You're so welcome. <laughs> you know, I do what I can to yeah. um, orchestrate radical change for people. It, I tell this story often, though. It's, I, I flew out to L.A., and my mindset going out to Los Angeles was, A, never, ever had the thought that I was, mo- or I was going out to L.A. with, like, the possibility of moving out to L.A., um, two, it wasn't on your radar. It was not all. on my yeah. radar at all. And then two, it was just kind of like, oh, I'm like kind of putting my story out there. This is the universe repaying me. And somebody found me and resonated with it a little bit and flying me out to L.A. for a possible collab or just kind of discuss where this goes. Um, I felt like seen. I was like, oh, this is how mm-hmm. this kind of works. Like, this is cool. And then I get out to L.A. We meet. But then it was the the last day I was out there. I was walking the beach at 5.36 in the morning or whatever it was before flying back. And I was like, holy shit, I'm moving to Los Angeles. And that was like a moment that has marked me. Like it was just Mm -hmm. this, it it was as soft as like a breeze crossing your face, but it was like like a sound of an alarm going off inside of me and the knowing part of my my center where I was like, I am moving to LA, holy shit. Mm -hmm. And I moved to LA and the rest... I mean, I'm at Kara, and that's it. So. <laughs> I love it so much because um, I remember you had that clarity. Like, yeah. I remember you, I remember talking to you, like, maybe when you were right after you flew back or, like, when you were, before you even flew back, and you were like, I'm moving here. And mm-hmm. I have felt that clarity around mm-hmm. places before mm-hmm. a couple of times in my life. And so I knew exactly, like, I recognized it was, like, same, recognized name. Like, okay, yeah. yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Great. I love it, you know. Um, and... And yeah, I, it's been such a joy to be friends with you and to be friends with you both. And Mm. that, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of sad just for the, for the like, um, good story aspect that I missed out on that I wasn't (laughs) the one to introduce you because that would have been like, you know, just like totally ridiculously perfect. Like you would have had to name your kid after me. (laughs) She's coming out. She's being called Emily Jr. Yeah, right. Emily Michelle Campbell. I yeah. love it. We've told this story so many times. We have. I love those really quickly. I love those moments of deep knowing though. Yeah. I feel I, like all three of us have, have talked about that before that those moments of, ah, uh, there it is. Or with moving or with finding a person or whatever it is, those moments where you just drop into the deep knowing. I, I I've came across, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Rohr. Emily, um, he, he, uh, has been a very profound voice in my life, in our lives, I would say in the deconstruction of Christianity, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of moving from organized religion into mysticism, um, and just seeing the whole teaching of Jesus in a different light, Mm -hmm. uh, that's way beyond what the church instilled in me as a, as a young boy. And so much of my healing journey has been directly correlated to deconstructing, Uh, As I deconstructed, I tasted more freedom, and then I followed that longing in me. And I would say that I was after, my entire journey has been a spiritual journey of me going after God, trying to understand this 
this ache inside of me that was been just kind of leading me forward. And I've just mm-hmm. been stumbling forward, trying to satisfy this ache. And for so many years, you know, I try to satisfy it with doing more and achieving more and succeeding more. Um, and then you get to that place where I have nothing in me left to go another step this way. And then you realize that the more was never meant or that ache was never meant to be transcended. It was meant to be met. And when mm. I just, when I begin to, to befriend this ache and to sit mm. with this ache and to ask this ache questions and get to know this ache, suddenly it, I, I found, I would say like, I, I can honestly say like, I have found what I've been looking for. Um, and I've tasted it in a real way, but I say all that in a really exaggerated and long uh, winded question, not question, but I came across something that Roar said this morning um, in a newsletter. And he says, if you want to find God, then honor God within you and you will always see God beyond you for it is only God in you who knows where and how to look for God. Mm. And I thought that was beautiful because getting back Mm. to what we originally talked about, like that knowing, Mm. right? If you want to find God, then honor the God within you. That's the knowing. Yeah. Right. That's Mm -hmm. the knowing that's saying, Hey, knock, knock, knock. It's time to, it's time to leave home. Yeah. It's time mm-hmm. to walk away. I've got something. And that, is, that knowing in you is God. And it's beyond you. And as you follow, it's mm-hmm. just like this never-ending mm-hmm. journey because God is infinite and this experience of love is infinite. And so it's this never-ending journey of just saying yes to this knowing and being willing to, to honor it. Mm. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> but I, I know that your story, Emily, from the day that I met you, you have honored your knowing mm-hmm. in a really profound way that has taken so much courage. Just watching afar, oh, watching has taken so much courage um, and it's cost you yeah. dearly. Yep. And I know yep. that there, and I want you to speak to this, but I'm sure there was times in you honoring the God in you, the knowing in you. Um, it was wildly lonely, full yeah. of despair, uncomfortable as fuck. Confusing. Mm -hmm. Confusing and disorienting. Mm -hmm. The ground that you once stood on that was so sturdy and so stable that has now been pulled out from underneath you and it's so fragile and so shaky. Um, Talk to me about that season. Uh, What did that season look like for you? What were some maybe mind-opening awareness moments that have shook you and maybe shaped you in a profound way as you have entered into the second season of your life? So, yeah, I mean... Yes, all of that. It's <laughs> a really long-winded question, but thank um, you for no, 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 no. It's just I'm like, where do I start? Okay. Yes, I know. So I think so. For me, so so to give some context, I had a company that I built sort of out of my own identity. You mm-hmm. know, it was called Emily McDowell Studio, not because I had some grand vision of being Jonathan Adler, but because I didn't have a better idea at the time when I wanted to have an Etsy shop and I. <laughs> thought about it for 10 minutes. There was no strategy, you know, and because it was, I was an artist, I was a writer and illustrator, and it was making stuff that said that, that reflected my own experience. It was Mm -hmm. making stuff that I felt reflected the experiences of, of me and a lot of other folks that were not necessarily being addressed in the marketplace. So, you know, cards that, that talked about different things than Hallmark says. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it was based on my life. A lot of it was based on my life experience, my experience having cancer, um, my experience in my twenties, um, my experience, uh, being, um, present for a friend who died of cancer in our thirties, close friend. 
um, my experience like dating and, you know, struggling and not, and having all these Valentine's days where I was like, I don't know whether to give you a card or not. Like, and all these cards are for like your person. And I, I don't think you're my person, but it would be weird to not give you a card. <laughs> you know, so it was like, so I, so anyway, all that to say that I have, I created this company and it took off and this, you know, I founded it in 2012 and by five years in, I was really miserable and I was living a life that from the outside people were like, oh my God, your life is so amazing. You made this amazing thing. You're speaking, you're like doing all this stuff. You're like, you know, you like, you have this external, you have the social media following, you have this external life that um, a lot of people were from the outside saying, I wish I had your life. Mm -hmm. And that was really difficult to square with the fact that I was like, this life is not working for me. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I didn't know how to have a company. I winged it, self-funded, you know, like totally just grassroots, did it, built the plane as I was flying it is like how they say, and, you know, entrepreneur land. Right. And I was working all the time. I had horrible boundaries, not just with other people, but with myself, Mm -hmm. like I had spent my whole career up until that point. So I started the company at 35. So I'd been already, you know, I'd been working in advertising for 10 years before I started this business. And I was really married to this idea of myself as a worker or Mm -hmm. someone who, someone who achieved through work and the way that I felt good about myself and the way that I proved to the world that I was worthy and to myself that I was worthy was by succeeding Mm -hmm. in a very specific way. And, you know, I knew that no matter what I could come back to, to work and I could succeed and I could, you know, make shit happen and I could like hustle and I could. And so that really coincided with all the like girl boss bullshit that I now, that is just, I, and I really bought into that, yeah. you know, in the, in, in 10 years ago. Yeah. And that led me to a place of just absolute emotional, spiritual, physical, mental burnout. Mm where I had to make a choice to do something different. I just got to a point where it was like, I can't keep doing like, this isn't sustainable for me. Mm. All of the joy is gone from this. You know, I'm doing this thing that should be joyful that everyone is telling me is joyful that like people are like, you're, you know, you know, one of the signs of burnout is like when somebody, when people, lots of people are like, your work's changed my life. Like mm-hmm. they tell you these really beautiful, meaningful stories and you can just, and all you do is be like, cool, thanks. <laughs> like yeah. just, it's so, I was so, and it's not that I didn't care. Yeah. Like I absolutely cared. I just couldn't care about anything. Like it was yeah. this, I was just in this like do, do, do. And we had, you know, it was, it was a very tumultuous with, we had really rapid growth. And so I was just constantly chasing how to solve a problem, like one problem after another, after another, after another, and trying to do all the creative work. And I didn't have any business partners and trying to manage a staff and trying to learn how to manage a staff, which is a whole other thing. Um, And I would have thought that I would, like, I assumed I was going to be this like great, amazing manager, (laughs) 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 you know, Um, because I like people. Right. Uh And I'm like, Oh, I'm a really good friend. So I'm going to be a really good boss. And like, actually that was really not true. And that Mm -hmm. was a really not a good assumption to make. And, um, 
as it turns out, I really like mentoring and I really like teaching, but I don't like managing. Yeah. And I'm not good at it. And so having a staff was really hard for me. It's almost more work. Um, Having and managing everybody's personalities and managing, like trying to motivate different people with different things. And, you know, like all of that takes so much energy Mm -hmm. that I just didn't have on top of doing all the other stuff I was doing anyway. So I um, ended up, so I made a decision. I was going to have to do something pretty major with the company and whether it was close it down or sell it or, and I couldn't sell it because I was it, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I was making all the stuff. So I couldn't sell it because I needed to go with it. Like I couldn't, you know, it was either like, it was like shut it down or, 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 you know, change drastically change the business model. And I ended up, um, being acquired. Well, it was a merger. So not really an acquisition per se. It was a merger where, um, I had, I have a friend who's now my business partner, um, named Jen Billick, who founded Knock Knock. Knock Knock is another business in our industry that does gift books and that, that more of a publisher, but on the sort of gift gifty side, notepads and journals and gift books and decks. And they have a, a, a really successful business and they had been around much longer than me and had a much better infrastructure than I did. And I knew Jen, um, as a friend and I knew the other manage, management team um, through the industry and we ended up merging with them. And so we now have, and so that started, that was four years ago. So now we have two brands under one umbrella um, where we run the brand separately, but we have a shared staff and back end. And, and at the time I began a process that I am now four years into of sort of a five-year timeline, which I think it will take a little longer than that, but um, of essentially replacing myself. Mm. So I'm still the creative director and I, you know, and I, and I um, have a real hand in all the product development and, and, and in finding our freelancers and finding, finding our friend partners and, but I'm not making the work anymore. Mm. I'm not writing the stuff for the most part. I'm doing it a little bit. I'm doing a little here and there, but I was the social media voice. I was the, I was the Emily of Emily McDowell studio. Like it was me, our social accounts were me. Um, and in order to create a brand that lives beyond me, I had to give that up. Mm. And, you know, there was always the thinking in the back of my head was like, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, what happens to all these people's jobs? Yeah. Like what happens to my team? What happens to like this whole thing exists, this exists in my head and, and knock, knock had been successful in pulling that brand sort of out of Jen, who's its, its founder's head and, and, and spreading it across the team. And so that was a big reason that I went, that, that we made this, this decision And, but it's been a real identity shift for me. Right. So in 2018, January, 2018, I, you know, turned over, I said, here you go. Um, I'm coming along with you. You know, I'm an equity partner in this business, but I'm no longer the CEO. Mm. I'm no longer the boss. And that was really difficult. Mm. We just terrified. Yeah. Yeah. Was it terrified? Yeah. Um, Because I knew them, but you know, they, they did things a lot differently than I did. Yeah. You know, yeah. there was a, there was a, 
it was just a very different, it was a different structure. It was a different um, kind of vibe. It was a different, it was just different, different. you know? Yeah. And um, at this time though, to, real quick, I'm so sorry. At this time in 2018, when you hand over control, are you also at kind of a mental breaking point? Oh my or gosh. You, okay. I was at, I was like hanging on by a thread in mm. every possible way. Like I was like spiritually, mentally, physically, I was sick. I was, I was, I just worked myself and then selling a company is a lot of work, yeah. Yeah. you know, like, so going through that process took six months and that was, that was Something. work on top of the other work, yeah. you know, yeah. and then having to do all the transitions with my employees and some came and some couldn't come. And, you know, and that was emotionally really difficult. Um, and we had to close our warehouse and, and let go of all of our warehouse employees. Mm. And that was a decision that wasn't mine to make. And, yeah. but the merger was my decision. And so it was, I had, I was carrying a real weight of a lot of weight, a lot of weight, you know, and a lot of, of responsibility feeling like sort of over responsibility for everybody else's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Looking back at that time around that time, did you have language at that point? Cause now you have the language for it uh, about, burnout and about, uh, kind of butting up against this girl boss mentality. Did you have, did you have the realization of I'm burnt out or was it more just kind of the steamroll and then hitting a wall and now you've developed I ima- language? I imagine for, and you can obviously answer, but the, and also on top of that, did you see like how tired you were, um, maybe as like a sign of weakness, like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I w- yes. So I knew that I was burned out. Like I, I understood burnout. Mm-hmm. I had yet to really understand how toxic Mm. the like hustle, build, grow mentality is. And it's been in the last four years that I've done a lot of work and really unraveled internalized capitalism, internalized, like all of Mm -hmm. it, you know, all of that. Um, I knew that I was burned out. I knew that, and I also felt like a failure Mm -hmm. in that, you know, if I had been stronger, if I had been better, if I had been someone different, that I would have been able to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And I would have been able to, you know, be the boss and be the, be all the things. And so there was a sense of, on one hand, there was a, there was this, it was this very complicated mix of emotions. It was relief in that it was like, okay, someone else is coming in to help me. Yeah. And, you know, I'm being going to be able to give away parts of my job. It was fear in that, like, oh, these people do things really differently and I don't get to make the decisions anymore. And what if the decisions they make aren't the ones I would make? And how am I going to deal with that? And what's going to happen? And I, like, oh my God. And it was also, um, Sorry, I had like uh, I lost my train of thought. It was it was it was it was it was probably some despair mixed in it of you being confronted oh, and with the reality. Yes, and exactly that's exactly what it was. It was it was this, and it was a feeling of I've I've failed in some yeah. way. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was um, you know this this didn't turn out. Um, I wasn't strong enough to yeah. to make this turn out the way that I wanted it to turn out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was, and gratitude also for, you know, this other company who I really respected and, and really liked and, 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 and 
was grateful for the, you know, them for, for this thing that had come together as a way for me to continue doing this and as a way for me to, to, you know, so it was this, it was like a very, it was a very confusing mix of things. And I just didn't have any, by the time I started, you know, we hit the ground really running and I was behind on creative development because I'd been focusing on the merger and like doing all these other things. And so it was like, I had to develop three, normally I would do two collections a year. And that first year I had to do three collections because Mm -hmm. we were behind and we had to catch up to knock Knock's schedule because they do things further out than we do. And, you know, and so it was a, it was like a, it was a huge steep learning curve. Mm -hmm. And I basically, that was, we, we joined together in January and by like March, I was just, I just like cracked. Like I just couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. I couldn't be me. I remember I met you because that, that's that's the time of when I met you. I met you in January of 18, right? Like that's when our mastermind started. So Emily yeah. and, and I and four other women joined this mastermind where we would meet monthly. And yeah, that's like about the time I walked into the picture with you. So I didn't know anything mm-hmm. before that. Yeah. What is up, everyone? Just real quick, we are going to interrupt today's podcast episode uh, to give a special shout out to this week's sponsor, which is Calibrate. If you've ever found yourself uh, trying to stick to a traditional diet, but it just doesn't work for you, well, there's an answer to that because you can't fight your biology with willpower. That is so true. (laughs) But Calibrate is different. It's a comprehensive doctor-guided metabolic reset that promotes sustainable results through lifestyle changes. Calibrate works because they combine prescribed FDA-approved medication with lifestyle changes to improve metabolic health. It's a fully integrated program that includes classes, one-on-one coaching, in-app tracking, and community with members just like you. They provide a comprehensive wellness plan that is personalized to your needs, so it's easy to fit in, calibrate to your busy schedule. Check in with the app as often or as little as you'd like. All the goals you set are personalized and they are tracked by doctors and coaches. That's right. So your weight doesn't reflect your willpower. So get back in control with Calibrate. Get $50 off. That's right, $50 off of the one-year metabolic reset when you use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, at joincalibrate.com. That's $50 off when you use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at joincalibrate.com. You can also find all of this in the description to this week's episode. Now let's get back to hear what Emily has to say. Do you, do you looking back uh, from a business approach, uh, do you wish you spoke up or what do you wish was implemented for you or for your team um, in during that massive transitional time as you were integrating? Uh, what do you wish, you know? You know, I don't know that there was anything that I, that I think could have even been done differently. Like, yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. that there's like, oh, I wish this had happened or that had happened. I think there was also kind of a, there was also what turned out to be a sort of disaster in the accounting department of knock knock that like we were, we had sort of a, we had a, at the time that they were acquiring us that they didn't know their accountant was really underwater their or their whole accounting department was really underwater and wasn't speaking up about it. 
And because they were embarrassed. Because I know, because the (laughs) right, the controller was embarrassed. Oh god. He didn't want to be honest about how far behind he was falling. And so that meant that a company that had always had like really tight finances and visibility into its numbers and able to do projections and like really was on top of it was suddenly um not on top of it and Mm. underwater and it led to some real sort of financial difficulties for us as a as a group in Mm. 2018 and 2019 that we're now out of and 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 um completely on the other side of but that also sort of exacerbated all of the challenges because it was this extra level of stress that was on knock knock executives and on me and on, you know, and me trying to join them and trying to be like, you know, and it was like, wait, I thought you guys had your shit together. And I thought you guys had, you know, and, and so it was, for me, it was like, oh fuck, like, what did I do a little bit? And like, this is, wait, what? Like, this isn't, this isn't what I thought, you know, like is, I thought you guys knew and you don't know. And, you know, and so it was a, it was a lot of kind of, we had to go through it together and it was really difficult as a management team. And, and, you know, I now, now looking back with hindsight, like knowing and seeing what happened was, I don't fault any of my business partners for, for any of it. It just was this sort of perfect storm Mm -hmm. of stuff that happened all at the same time. So, yeah. um, yeah, No, I was just going to say, so March of 2018, you're hitting like, a real wall, the yeah. wall. And, oh, and I went on, I went on vacation. I went on my first vacation in like four years. Amazing. <laughs> um, Take the easy way out. Oh my God. Yeah. Just get out of town. Right? <laughs> For two weeks, which I thought was like an eternity. Mm. Um, I went to Bali. And, and, and did that come from a like, uh, I got to get out of here. Did it come from like a, a knowing where, where did came that from a knowing I'd yeah. never been to Bali. I'd never been to Indonesia. I'd never been to Indonesia. I, I love Southeast Asia. I've been to Thailand a bunch and, and Vietnam, but I'd never been to Indonesia. And I felt it was a knowing it was like, I, it was like, Oh, you need to go to Bali. And it was, and I was going to go alone mm. because my partner at the time, um, doesn't like to travel and couldn't couldn't take time off he was also working all the time as a screenwriter in LA and so I was going to just go by myself and then and then I had another an intuitive hit intuitive like something told me like two weeks before the trip don't go alone and invite this one really specific friend to come with you Mm. and I paid for her ticket because I just really wanted her to come I was like I just you know just like if you can get the time off um you know you need to be there yeah and she is, her name's Lacey Young. She's a, she's a meditation teacher and coach, and she's incredibly talented and good at what she does. Mm. And I didn't invite her with the intention that she would be like coaching me, you know, like I invited her as a friend, we're, fr- we're friends. And, um, but she sort of, because she is who she is kind of took it upon herself to be like, I am going to. I want to help you in whatever Mm. way I can, I can, right. Like I want, I see you're, you're like in pain, you're fucked up right now. Mm. And I want to be present for you in whatever way that I can be. It's beautiful. And, um, sort of help sort of shepherd you into what ended up becoming the first step through, you know, Mm. right. Or I guess, I guess the merger was the first step through, but I think of this time as being the first time I 
put everything aside. Like I was willing to say, none of this is working. I don't know where my job's going. I don't know what's, I don't know what, what any of this is. I don't, all I know is I can't achieve my way out of myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not happy. Oh. None of this is just, none of this is working. Yeah. And it's very poetic that this happened in Bali. <laughs> I know. Right. And it's like, and I, and it's like, every time I tell this story or if I talk about this, I also want to make it really clear that Bali, Bali was like an amazing place for this to happen. Right. And mm-hmm. it's like very poetic and lovely. It can happen in Hoboken. Come on. Yeah. Like it is not, Absolutely. Bali is not the like, you know, Bali was the... not, the, Bali just happened to be the location. It was not yeah. Um, integral. Yeah to the thing the mm-hmm. moral of it is take some fucking space mm-hmm. create <laughs> some space and take it in your basement create some you know, space. like go yeah. lie in a field whatever you need yeah. to do yeah. you don't have to fly across the earth and yeah. you know stay in a in a hotel in bali like that's not necessary lovely if you can and cool yeah. and you know highly recommend it bali is a wonderful place but not necessary yeah um were you going to bali what was the intention? Was it, I just got to get the hell out of my life right now and I just want to sit my ties by the pool? Or is it, there is such an inner working in me that is, I feel like there's a storm brewing, there's chaos erupting in me. I need to, I need to go inward and figure out what the hell is happening. It was happening. the latter. It was the not my ties by the pool. It was, I need space to just exist and qu- and be quiet and I think at the time I would have phrased it as like, figure out. Mm. I would think I would have said, figure out, figure mm-hmm. out, yeah. figure out. Yeah. And now I look back on it and it's less about figuring out, like mm-hmm. figuring out is such work language. It's mm-hmm. like, let's, let's solve a problem. And like, we are not problems to be solved, Come on. you yeah. know, and our inner lives are not, are not um, agendas to figure out, but the spirit of that, of yes. like unraveling, mm-hmm. like I have to, I have to change something. And the best way that I can think of to start any kind of a change is to just physically leave, like put as much distance as possible between my life as I know it and a space in which I can exist mm-hmm. and think about where I want to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love I love that you talk about like this this need to figure it out because I know that a lot of people can identify with that. I can identify that any type A work oriented, performance driven, um, you know, achievement oriented person is going to try to figure out their life. And it took me a long time to really understand that figuring it out was just this very sophisticated, self protective measure from keeping me from doing the work of surrendering to what is. Mm. you know that was like really what was mm-hmm. happening there and when mm-hmm. i realized that figuring it out the need the need behind the anxious energy behind trying to figure it out is was the the answer yeah. and it was right in front of me yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was right in front of me for so many years <laughs> if i would just surrender to what is and actually be with that anxious energy that i had that anxious attachment to life um that i had it figured out i would say that too as my life also unraveled, it was always kind of mirrored in my in my current relationship at the time, romantic partnership at the time, mm. 
right? This anxious attachment to life looked like a really anxious attachment to my partner <laughs> at, at time. Oh, right? Like me trying to like figure yeah. out life and control and to stay on top and mm-hmm. to make sure I'm not exposed and to make sure that I'm not seen because deep down I'm a fraud. And that's what I believed about myself. That was actually really played out inside of any romantic partnership mm-hmm. I had at the time. And I'm curious, um, the partner that you had at that time, was there also, as this was unraveling from a work oriented, did you feel that, oh, wait, this, this idea of this partnership is also unraveling at the time? Yeah. So I, you know, Seth and I ended up ultimately splitting up, um, in the fall of 2019 and we'd been together for nine years Mm. And he and I are still really close friends. He is a wonderful, amazing human being. And around this time, a year or so before we ultimately split up, I started to feel, it was really, it was a knowing and it was very confusing knowing Mm -hmm. because I loved him and I still love him, you know, as a, as a human being. And we had by a lot of accounts, a really good relationship. We had a really solid, a really solid, good relationship. There was no, like, there was no thing. There was no, you know, there was no, there was no big issue. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was beginning to recognize that, while he is an amazing, wonderful person, he wasn't the right one for me. And I was also realizing I was, I was starting to recognize like there are ways that I haven't showed up that I haven't been all in, in this relationship because there's a part of me that has known this, but subconsciously known it, you know, Mm -hmm. for a long time. And he and I have talked about this at length and, and he at first was, it, it was, it, it's funny because he's come to, to recognize in his own work that he's done after we split up that he had been feeling similarly, but wasn't able mm. to really understand that or access that, but that both of us were not, not fully committing, committing and showing up for each other in certain ways. Mm. And I wasn't a very good partner for a long time. You know, I was really, really focused on my work to the detriment of my relationship. Um, And, and he and I are very similar. He was, he was, we both, we both were. And it's funny, like we, we talk now and we sort of joke about it, like that we were both, we understood each other really well because we both had that in, you know, that, that, that sort of ambition or that drive or that like, focus or whatever it is the need to do and it was you know to be creative or to do you know to to do stuff Mm -hmm. and in a way and and that we understood and recognized that in each other and so we respected that about each other and weren't and didn't get in the way of each other but then it also so we sort of created a monster in that we didn't the relationship itself didn't have enough Mm. space Mm -hmm. and so I started yeah I mean I started to recognize you know, and that was a, that was a really, really, I think that was the hardest, the hardest piece for me was recognizing 
there is nothing outwardly wrong with this relationship. Mm-hmm. Like we are, we love each other. And yet I know that this isn't the right relationship for me to be in and that this isn't the right person for me to marry. Mm. That's so terrifying. (laughs) And so what do you do with that? Mm -hmm. You know, and how do you, and how do you move through that? Yeah. And that piece was incredibly difficult. Um, And it, yeah, it really, I think more than anything else, there have been, there have been a few different things, the the work piece and, you know, like health things and Seth and like that have over the last four years that have required me to really rely on, um, or that have asked me not required necessarily, but that have, where I have been challenged to rely on an inner knowing that goes against conventional wisdom Mm -hmm. that goes against what other people want for me Mm -hmm. Logic that goes against, you know, um, what other people want from me. And it was like thing after thing after thing for a few years. And this was a, this was a big, a big one. Yeah. The relationship was a big one. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm just the courage that it Mm -hmm. takes. Um, and I, and I've said this earlier, but like, I honor you so, so much. Mm-hmm. I respect the hell out of you. Um, just because like the willingness to move from willfulness to willingness in and of itself takes so much work that can last a lifetime, mm-hmm. but also the willingness to, to honor your knowing when it goes against anyone and everyone's thoughts and opinions and conventional wisdom and logic. And it just doesn't make sense, but you know, and then as a result of you honoring that knowing, you might find yourself standing all alone. Yeah. I think of Mary Oliver as the journey, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're striding away and everyone's, you know, pulling out my ankle saying, mend my life, mend my Mm -hmm. life, but you keep striding away. And then you begin to recognize that one true voice that you can call your own. It's the prerequisite to the authentic life that we want and desire to experience in life, but it doesn't come without a cost. And that cost is fucking big. It's messy. It's really big. Yeah, it's messy. And it's, and you know, it's like, for me, it's been a, and it's ongoing work yeah. to be okay with not being liked and not being understood mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because both of those things were really important to me for a long, long time. Yeah. And they still are to a degree, you know, I'm st- like, we all are really conditioned to be likable and to be, you know, and especially with, as women, mm-hmm. you know, being, being likable and, and being agreeable. Um, agreeable and relatable. And especially, you know, I mean, I built a fucking brand on being relatable, yeah. you know, yeah. and being, and, and, yeah. and, and that's, and that's, so I, and I feel like I take it really personally and I still do, I take it less personally now, but when people like as my social media following started growing, you know, as I start, as over the years I started, I went from, you know, I, whatever to, you know, a couple hundred thousand people and you can't please 200,000 people. (laughs) (laughs) Like you literally can't, you know, like literally it's, it's, you give them chocolate ice cream and 
five percent of the people are like, I hate chocolate, <laughs> fuck chocolate. I want you know, like like no matter what, no matter what you do, totally. you know, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't. It's it's impossible, and so it's been kind of a masterclass. Like social media for me has been a little bit of a masterclass in not allowing other people's opinions and desires to sway um my own or to affect me you know to to a degree like of course i'm and and it's and i'm it's not i'm not talking about like harming people or you know it's just Mm -hmm. there are certain things that some people when i whatever you say like some people won't like it Mm -hmm. and so being okay with not being liked not being understood um decisions that I make that people are disappointed in, you know, like straight for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. people who don't know me, people who don't, you know, saying this really disappointed me when you guys put out this card because my experience is X and you said Y and, you know, or whatever, just these things. And, and it's, and it's, um, this sort of, when you are, when you have kind of a a public following, like that kind of feedback constantly coming at you Mm -hmm. is, um, is weird. And, and, and it definitely, um, it's definitely been, been sort of an education for me in, in, um, in learning what to, what to take in and what to just say, you know, I respect your opinion. Like, thank you, you know, um, and, and, or, you know, the block button or whatever. (laughs) Um, but like, (laughs) but, Mm -hmm. but just this idea, the idea of, you know, there are always, when you, when you change, there are always going to be people who are invested in you staying. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. I feel like a lot of your story is just, um, so much of a massive permission slip to, to pivot or to change direction or to, to quit really to say like this isn't working and and to to recognize that that's what i hear and that's what i witness when i stand before you and and just witness your story Mm. it's this it's it's that like i don't have like and we were talking about this like how do we tell the, the the single mother of three who is working two jobs and give her the permission to to like to quit and it's not necessarily like you have to quit the jobs like but what is what are you quitting and it's and like what are you giving permission what for? are you giving permission for I'm, mm-hmm. I'm quitting trying to please everyone else above my own i'm quitting trying to um you know manage everyone else's expectations but not honoring, honoring my own or setting my own you know i'm, I'm yes. quitting these things but that those are the hard things mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think those that we don't things. we don't recognize that we can do that while stay staying put but oftentimes, I think there is that element of separation that's kind of needed sometimes so that we can just see from a different perspective and give us a little bit of breathing room so that we can hone in into ourselves, into our stories and find the courage to say, hey, here's the new boundaries or hey, here's here's yeah. where I'm going with all this. Yeah, I think, too, for me, you know, we, we focus so much on a, as a culture on starting new things, mm. on becoming and being and making and in order to do that, you first have to stop doing yeah. mm-hmm. the thing you were doing before, mm-hmm. you know, or elements of the thing you were doing before. Like you have to stop, you have to stop being something before you can be something else. Yeah. Um, and we talk so much about what it takes to, to become something else. 
but we talk so much less about what it takes to stop, to quit, to make changes, to leave things behind, to shift your identity, to, 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 you know, do this other work that precedes the work of, okay, now what? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that happens simultaneously with it too, you know? Um, I think it's funny. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take this opportunity. I haven't talked about this publicly yet, but I am launching a podcast. Yes. Um, I'm launching a podcast in December ish. Amazing. We're working it out. Um, co-hosted with Holly Whitaker. Love. Who wrote the book, quit like a woman and founded the organization, sobriety organization, Tempest. And it's called quitted. Mm. And it's about quitting. It's Come about, on. it's not just quitting jobs and it happens to be sort of, we've been talking about this for a long time and it happens to be timed during this like great resignation. You know, everyone's talking about quitting jobs mm-hmm. and jobs is a part of it, but really it's about quitting anything that requires us to relinquish pieces of our identity Come yeah. on. and yeah. about this cultural obsession that we have with building and growing and we do, and we celebrate beginnings mm. and we celebrate, you know, births and, um, launches and yeah. all kinds of, you know, all of the, the, the beginning, but we don't do endings. We don't do death. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and we don't do anything that symbolizes death. Mm-hmm. Man. So we don't ritualize around it. And yeah. so we, we, we find ourselves carrying all of this grief and all of this trauma from the things that we've quit Come on. and yeah. internalized yeah. failure because failure, you know, quitting is also synonymous with failure. Yeah. And so we have all this and we don't do, we don't talk about it Yeah, and we don't know how to do it. And there's no playbook. There's all kinds of millions of courses you can take and programs and like coaching and whatever for starting and building and growing. But like what happens when it's time to stop Yeah, yeah. To let it or go. when the world tells you whether you choose it or whether the, whether the universe chooses it for you and mm-hmm. you need, you know, you're forced into, it doesn't, you know, it's a, it's a, and, and so we really, we really want to take on this topic of, of quitting and, and looking at it through a cultural lens and looking at it through, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of all of the different facets of, of it. the quit. So that's, so we're that. going to be doing that. And I'm really excited. I've, I've never, um, I've been a guest on many podcasts, but I've never had one. So. You're going to be so good at it. And it's just such a timely conversation. So um, I, I talk about it and I was talking to a grief expert and they call I me, mean, it's called non-finite grief. It's the mm. grief around the more ambiguous losses mm-hmm. of life, the unmet yeah. expectations, the unfulfilled mm-hmm. dreams. And I think the great resignation is, is happening on the other end of COVID, which was for so many people, literal death. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There was so much literal death and there's Mm -hmm. grieving there, but there's so much metaphorical loss, so much, so much metaphorical loss that people are confronted. They were confronted with this. There was no avoiding the stillness because we've been able to avoid the stillness and the the grief that Mm -hmm. is the undercurrent of the stillness because we can be so wrapped up in our busy schedules Mm -hmm. and our meetings that we're taking and more performance. That shit came to a halt. We tasted, I think for the first time, this this collective loss. Mm. And now people, as as we've tasted the loss, we are reevaluating and loss always precedes new life. Mm-hmm. Right. There's like, right. it's the prerequisite to experiencing new life. You have to feel the loss. And so I just, I love this conversation because I feel like a lot of people 
don't know how to navigate. Mm. You know, this is like I, I say it all the time. We don't talk about non-finite grief enough. We mm-hmm. don't talk because it looks like the antithesis to the American dream because we've been taught to pull our shit up by our pull the boots up by our, our bootstraps and, and start something new. Right. Yep. Drive on. Go just mm-hmm. pick yourself up and go again. And it took me years, Emily, to realize that when I graduated the United States Military Academy in 2008 with 972 other cadets, they went to war. I went to the mm-hmm. NFL. In so many ways, subconsciously, in a little bit of awareness, because I was obviously the least self-aware person you've ever met at the time. But I knew at that time that going to the NFL was my battle to fight and my war to win. It was my way of giving back. It was my way of serving. All my classmates went to war. I remember sitting in a club on a Sunday night when I played for the Detroit Lions, three in the morning. I'm drunk as hell. We just got done playing a game, and I get a phone call over and over and over again. And I, it was my roommate from West Point, his wife. And I didn't want to answer because I knew what was on the other end of that phone call. Mm. and I was so just my body was pulsating with guilt and shame like look at you and I and and I knew that when I answered that phone call she says Caleb Jake got hit by an IED it doesn't look good and I just wanted you to know and I just like hysterically Mm -hmm. lost it because I'm like this is how I'm doing my part (laughs) you know and so there's so much guilt and I and I say all of this because my life and my my experience at the NFL, I lost that war. I lost that battle. The way that I I did not measure up to the expectations that people had of me and that I had of myself. And I say all this because I would go the next 10 years running as fucking hard as I can and as fast as I can into my healing journey, turning my healing into a performance so that I could hopefully build this beautiful life so I can say, hey, I did my part. Hmm. Hey, I finally measured up. See, see what I built? See what I did? Yeah. And just now, 10 years later, mm-hmm. whatever it is, I am feeling the grief that I had never felt around that season of football, around that season of not showing up for myself and not yeah. playing my part. Mm-hmm. And so I just say all that because I think it, I never gave myself the permission to sit and the quitting of that season, Mm. right? Because it was always go, 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 go. And I'm just, how often, how many of us are wasting our lives away trying to make up for a season, trying to compensate for who we were not. And we're carrying all this grief Mm -hmm. into our life. And all of that grief is taking up the precious energy and emotional space that you need access to, to actually get the universe to invite in what is meant for you and the beautiful life that is waiting for you. And, and available for you. And so true. That's really beautiful. And um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. We need to, we need to talk about it. And I think that we need formal rituals. Mm-hmm. Like I think that, mm-hmm. I think that we need to ritualize. I, I think human it. beings, you know, that's how we speak. We speak to our subconscious through ritual yeah. and through our, con- to our conscious minds, yeah. you know? And I think that, and that's, uh, we've lost Americans, Western culture. We don't do it, you know? Um, and, and it's a, to our, it's really to our own detriment. And, and, um, and I think, you know, and we, and we do some, we do, you know, like Christmas is a tradition. It's not a ritual, Mm. 
you know, mm-hmm. like we have we a lot of traditions. We don't have any. Culture, right. Yeah. But no. they're not, they're not. I had to build a makeshift altar up in my office and I, I had a small ritual where I was writing letters to that Caleb, that season mm-hmm. of life of playing football, like uh-huh. writing these letters and just uh, give him and apologizing and, and forgiving and all these mm-hmm. things. But I had to, like, I literally made a makeshift altar that I would come to um, and light the candle and burn the incense and sit there and connect to my breath. And the ritual was so powerful. Yeah. So I did the same thing. I filled five journals, six journals between 2018 and 2019. Wow. Wow. And, you know, my closest friends know that they are to burn them immediately upon <laughs> my death. But, um, <laughs> but they, you know, I wrote out, I mean, I, I did, I did so much in terms of just create, just creating that for myself mm-hmm. and creating, creating a container for me to, yeah. to grieve, to question, to, you know, there were so many pieces of my identity and what I recognized as my identity mm-hmm. that were shifting and becoming something new. And I didn't, and that was terrifying. Mm-hmm. And so to not have the idea of who I was to hold on to anymore mm-hmm. was, um, you know, was really, really scary. And at the same time I had, I was gotten, I'd gotten to sort of such a rock bottom kind of a place where Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't, there was a big piece of me that was like, I don't want this identity anymore because like Mm -hmm. fuck this person, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was this real, it was, it was also like, there was some real conflict in there in terms of like, I don't know how to be anything else, but this, and I don't want to be this anymore. And so what it, where, what, where to now, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and figuring that out and ritual. I mean, I, I, I really did a crash course in sort of my own, in my own healing and my own, like really, you know, everything from breath work, yoga. I mean, but like, you know, taking, taking 10 hours a week, I mean, t- like spending my nights, spending my non-work hours, like really working on myself and then feeling guilt around like, Oh, I'm selfish and I don't have kids. And so that was also, I was able to do that, you know, in that way, I don't have Mm -hmm. that responsibility. And, um, but but then working through feelings of like, Oh, am I selfish? Cause I'm spending all this time. And it's just like, no, like this is, you know, this is this being be, this is the most, this is the most unselfish work that you can do because being able to show up, in a healthy way mm-hmm. for yourself and for other people, that's what heals us. Like that's yeah. what's, mm-hmm. that's what services and that's what reverberates. And like, you know, when you're fucked up, you can't really, you're not doing anybody any good, whether it's you or somebody else, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. the false responsibility is, yeah. Is yeah. Not- <laughs> yeah. And I feel like there's this sense of putting to death, like all those false identities and putting to death all of those, those things that weren't serving you and, and laying them in the ground, like ritualistically laying them in the ground yeah. with the, with the knowledge. Cause I look at your life now, Emily, and I'm like, of, of course you're where you're at now. Of course you're birthing new things and stepping into this new relationship because you allowed the parts that, uh, that weren't truly you to die. Or no longer served you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. All those thoughts and beliefs mm-hmm. and patterns and behaviors, they served Emily. 
Mm-hmm. Really oh, yeah. fucking well. It kept me safe. Yeah, it kept you know, safe they were the all, fear of being like, exposed. Yes, trauma responses, and you know, like yes. I understand now where all of that came from, and like where all those impulses came from, and like I've done so much work around like thank you. Yes, I appreciate Come on. what you did for me. Yes. I'm grateful. Like thank you to these parts of me. Yes, but I don't need you to do that anymore. Yeah. Like thank mm-hmm. you for protecting me. Thank you yeah. for you know, but thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. But. I will take it from here. Um, and <laughs> yeah, but it is it's really that beautiful. It is. It's a beautiful visual of you it stepping is. into you, like truly it's, stepping into who you I are. Think that analogy and that 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 picture is just such a beautiful picture to give people language to the experience that they might be feeling. It's like I've had all of these beliefs and thoughts and behaviors and patterns in my life that have served me well. Mm. They've gotten me to this place, but now they, they don't fit. My, my life externally is I'm hanging on by a thread. There's these this chaos, there's massive disruptions, things are falling apart. And a lot of times, and I'm not saying this is a, a, a you know 100% certainty, but a lot of times in the midst of all of these disruptions, it's really an invitation to go inward and to begin to see that all of these, this programming that got us to where we are is not suited to help you become the most evolved, more aligned to your higher self of to who, where you're going, right? It's like the, the mm. relationships that have come with me up to this point are not the relationships that are going with me from this point on. Mm. And I had mm-hmm. to say goodbye. Subsequently, in the same way, the thoughts, patterns, and beliefs, and decisions, or the behaviors of my life that have gotten me to this point, to this point of massive disruption, are not going to serve me from here on out. But it's the awareness that you just have communicated so beautifully. Like, you were just trying to keep me safe. Mm-hmm. You would go mm-hmm. such great lengths to do such destructive and toxic things to keep me safe. Mm-hmm. Fucking brilliant, Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Like, I can honor yeah. that part in me yeah. now instead of hating myself for those decisions that I used to make yeah. and the right. things that I did that just caused me and some other people so much grief and pain. I can actually honor that part of me and be like i see you Mm. but now Mm -hmm. there's a better way it's like there is a story i think it's from world war ii and uh, some soldiers they got shot down and they landed on an island i can't remember the exact story but it was three years two or three years before they were found and rescued and when they were put on a boat found and rescued their immediate response was take me back to the war take me back to the fight Oh, wow. And they had to be told that the war is no longer happening. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading this and being like, fuck, there's a little soldier inside of every single one of us that needs to be told the war is over. Mm-hmm. The war is over. Like, you can, right? And that's the healing work. That's the healing work of helping the little person, the little soldier that is so fiercely dedicated to protecting us Mm -hmm. and to keeping us safe that the war is over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of want to go back to the linear part of your story. <laughs> we left you in <laughs> Bali just uh, yeah, to totally. close this up real fast. We left you in Bali. Um, and I think we kind of give a, a little indication of where this is all going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, can you just fill in those pieces for us? Yeah, totally. So, so I go to Bali and I have this two weeks in Bali where I just start. I open the door, like the door cracks open Mm. to this awareness of, I have a lot of, there's a lot of me that's dysfunctional 
and that's not and that and that the only person who can fix this is me Mm. and I can't fix this by doing continuing to do things the same way that I've always done them um and so I don't know what that's going to look like but I have in the quiet I have moments of clarity and I have a, a few moments not long you know not like these big epiphanies but like I have enough I have a couple scraps of sort of peace and the feeling of being outside of myself you know in meditation I did a lot of we did a lot of meditation I did a lot of you know a lot of all kinds of stuff, sound healing, acupuncture. Like it was basically mm. like a going in, what are we doing today? You know, like, mm-hmm. and just like I surrender to whatever this is. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of it, you know, honestly was like sitting there being like, what the fuck is this? What is this isn't working? You know, like it was, I was in that energy of like, ah, like everything, you know, like I, you can't like ramp it all down in two weeks, but <laughs> I had, in within that, I had a couple of glimpses of I think I can I think I can shift things. Like I think I, I think this is mm-hmm. and I had enough awareness. And I'd also done, you know, I I had gone to a spiritual psychology program in 2011 and 12. Like I had I had I have a background in this kind of stuff. So it wasn't I wasn't starting at zero. I had a lifetime of therapy and like that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I knew I knew I was a mess and I knew that I was gonna need to to make some big changes. And um, I had fortunately enough self-awareness that I could access at the time to be like, okay, you know, here this is. And um, so I came back from Bali and I said to my business partners, um, and I felt really connected to Bali. So that was the other thing, right? There was a knowing, you know, like we talked about the knowing of a place and you said Mm -hmm. about LA and I had that in Bali of like my, something about my spirit wants to spend more time here. Um, this is a place that I feel like I need to be. So I came back and I said, how do we, how do we make it so that I can work remotely and maybe spend a month there Mm. this summer? Um, and maybe spend some more time there. And I said to my partner, I want to spend a month in Bali. And he was like, what? You know, and that sort of opened up a whole conversation, mm-hmm. which was, which was really difficult. And he had no desire to go to Bali. He was like, you know, even if he's going to travel, he's not going to go somewhere tropical. It's like not his thing. <laughs> so it was, but it was a, there was a knowing, I had a knowing in Bali, like, I want to come back here. I want to come back here for longer. Mm-hmm. I want to see what happens if I can take this and extend it and spend more time in it and with it and just see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't at a place where I could like burn it all down and go on vacation. Like I was working, you know, I was very much working, working remotely, but I did, I ended up going back and spending August, the month of August there and having more clarity around the relationship, more clarity around, um, you know, what I felt like I needed to do there and, you know, came back, came and it worked so well to work remotely. We weren't sure whether it would work or not. And, you know, with the time difference and stuff, but it worked really well with the team. And so I came back and 
And Seth and I ultimately split up in September. Um, and I went back. Mm. And so I was there for a total of like six months. I was there from September until I, and I flew back, um, three weeks before lockdown, like in end of February, mm. 2020. Um, and that time there and with the intention of, with the intention of selling my house in LA and moving to Portland, um, which was, it was interesting. Cause when I went to Bali, I was like, I might want to live here. Mm. Like, what if I was just sort of trying stuff on? Like, I was yeah. like, I'm, I'm, I'm alone. I'm, you know, I have no ties to anything anywhere where do I maybe want to live here? Like, what does this look like? And I felt like I needed a good solid few months there in order to figure out whether I did or didn't want to live there. And ultimately um, I felt complete with it. Like ultimately after being there for six months, it was like, you know what? I love this place. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to come back to it and to come here on a fairly regular basis if possible. But I don't want to live here. I think that I want to, I think that, you know, and I've wanted to move to the Pacific Northwest for 20 years. And so it was like, I think Portland is where I want to be. And I think, I think that's what I want to do. Mm. And so, um, but I felt, but I felt pretty certain about wanting to, wanting to, and wanting to just make that next step, you know, and, and it felt Bali started to feel like I was in a sort of suspension, suspension of my life rather than living my life. Like it was like, okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm now it's time to take this, like, I've, you know, I've been this in this sort of intensive personal healing, mm-hmm. you know, where my whole life is just like working on myself and working on, on my job. And those are the only two things that I do here yeah. Yeah. and I'm ready to integrate, take this and integrate, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and take this back and, 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 and build something, um, from here. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so I ultimately, um, moved to Portland the week before lockdown <laughs> Um, and so people are like, how's Portland? And I'm like, it's cool. I think, (laughs) like, I think it's, I think it's good. Like I, you know, my house is great and, and I really like the parks (laughs) and like the outdoor, you know, and like takeout food's pretty cool. But um, but yeah, it's like, but there are some really wonderful people here. And as it happened, I met my now partner like a week after I moved here, Mm. uh, which was really unexpected. And, um, we were dating at the beginning of COVID, which is like when you're like, like we watched Tiger King together on Zoom. You know, like it's like how do you? Oh my gosh, We were Tiger like, King. how do you date? Yeah. Like we when when everyone was like, how do you do that? Are we supposed to? Are we not supposed to do this? Are we supposed to like go to a park and sit on separate blankets like ten feet apart from each <laughs> yes. other? And like like it was like so, but it was um it was really we met and it was really like a knowing. Mm. It was a really annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, Has it been easy? Yeah, it's been really easy. Mm. I love that. Yeah, it's been really easy. I was just. Uh, it's different when you just yeah. know. <laughs> I, I, I was making a video today because I I posted a video on TikTok. Um, uh, are you dancing? <laughs> Getting relevant. Um, I posted this video on TikTok on how I, a question that somebody asked me. That when I asked this question, I immediately knew the girl that I was dating was not the girl from like I knew. Mm. It was a question that there was no getting away around, no getting away from it. And subsequently, I asked the same question with Kara, and I was like, "She's the one." What was the question? Is there anybody else that out there that can love her better than you? And it's not a head question. It's what is your heart 
originally say? Like that mm-hmm. first response that you feel like, yes, no, like you, you know it when you get in your heart space and you're like, is there anybody else that, out there that can love her better than me? I was made to love her. Like I know, like there's this, this resounding knowing in me that no, it's not arrogance. It's just, I was made to love you. I've come across other yeah. people where I can ask that question and be like, not me. To not me. You. Like you're <laughs> yeah, amazing. Like, you're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. And there is someone else out yeah. there that's going to be better for, for you. you and it's me. not to say that yeah. that can't work. Mm-hmm. It can yeah. work. Yeah. yeah. Right. But at the end of the day, I my I'm doing myself a disservice and this person a disservice if I am preventing you from finding this earth shattering, mind blowing, deep, deep, deep connection, connection. Mm-hmm. that is possible. But the 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 next video that I was processing is because it kind of caught some traction and hundreds of comments flooded in. And what I've realized that in the dating game, we normally the protocol that we follow is essentially like pros and cons mm, the list non-negotiables yeah. mm-hmm. it's all cerebral it's all a head game and the yeah. problem with all those things is it keeps us in our head if we want to find soulmate soul partner this this deep deep connection where we know that this person is our person that we're going the distance with and and that's mirrored back that requires a heart game yeah and how do we play the heart game we play the heart game by honoring your truth mm-hmm. you had no idea maybe i'm wrong i'm guessing you had no idea that what you were doing was not only in honoring your truth was reclaiming your life, but also creating the space to invite this beautiful love in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't my intention. No, certainly, you know, um, it was just my, my intention was, uh, yeah. I mean, it was all the other things we've talked about. It's just not not that, you know, I I I wasn't thinking like, Oh, I'm going to, now it's time for me to meet right. totally right. Mary. Like that was not, Absolutely. that was not on the agenda. You know, I'm just um, seeing that more and more in people's lives where they, on the other side of this massive disruption they find. and this soulful descent mm-hmm. into the turbulent mm-hmm. waters of their soul. I don't know why I always say that this soulful descent <laughs> into their heart space and coming out with this one true precious life and understanding who they are and where they are and just being at peace with everything or whatever it is that they have now like, oh, there you are, as Kara would say, like, mm-hmm. oh, there's my person. Yeah, it's more of a byproduct, I think. It is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of really doing, because the prerequisite for for the calling in of the soul partner is, is the, the inner work. Is the making right? the space. The work. Yeah, but it's the inner work to, to get so is, aligned to self so that when that other person that can align with you comes along, it's a, it's a oh, there yeah. you are. Like a safe, mm-hmm. there Where you, you are. you can recognize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, last question I have for you. Looking back on this journey, what are you most proud of? I am most proud of um, my willingness to take risks. Yeah. Um, and my willingness to change. Like my willingness to let go and to take risks and to step into unknown Not just when things were so dire that I had kind of no choice but to step into the unknown where it was like anything but this, you know, because I think that that's a certain kind of courage and that certainly is courage. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's also, for me, there's even bigger courage in stepping into an unknown of 
I just know that this isn't right. And there's no, yeah. there mm-hmm. isn't, there isn't a burning fire saying mm-hmm. like, you know, around me saying, get out, get out, get out. It's just more like a, I, I know, I know this. Yeah. And I'm willing to act on it. And I'm willing to believe that there is something better. Even though I don't know, I have no idea what it might be. Yeah. And that there's something that's, but that there is something that's more aligned yeah. for me. Yeah. You know, I think that it's, it's infinitely harder to walk away from something that's sort of fine. Yeah. Totally. Come on. Um, than yeah. to something that's like, you know, right. obviously broken. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Man. Emily, you are a beautiful soul. It you is really an are. absolute privilege you? and pleasure so to, to know you. you guys. Yeah. This was so great. Yeah, I thank just you thank for, you so much for for having me on, and you know I'll come I'll come chat with you guys anytime. So. Yeah, thank you so much, <laughs> and uh, I can say for both of us again, we just honor you. Yeah, uh, really, so thankful for um, you and your willingness to say yes, and inc- incredibly excited to uh, to see and to watch how your life unfolds mm-hmm. uh, and the beautiful oh, work you. that you continue to do. And I think you said this earlier, but all of that work, like all of that inner work and that self work when we have the temptation to think that it's selfish, it's actually so empowering because you mm. do, you did all that work and now it's, it will, and it does empower so many people. I know somebody's listening to freedom. this right now and had previously asked for a sign if they should walk away from X, Y, or Z. <laughs> Here's your sign. Here's your sign. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks guys. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.